0: How are y'all? Uh, I'm going to say that again. How are you? Great. <laughs> right. Great. Frozen, chosen, thawing out. Uh, my name is Jason Shelley. I am a United Methodist pastor outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, for you Episcopalians, that means I'm a Baptist who can read. <laughs> and it's my good honor and your misfortune that I am here today. Uh, I don't know how you normally do this. Would you all bow your heads and pray with me, though? Come Holy Ghost, our souls inspire, lighten, and enliven us. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. To all of God's people, say, "Today is Pentecost, and as always, we read from St. Luke's sequel, the, the Book of Acts, where the disciples are back in the upper room where they'd been the night they betrayed them. And outside the upper room, it's like the South by Southwest music festival." There's thousands of pilgrims from, from all over the Jewish diaspora, from, from Mopac to Northwest Hills, from Biederman's Deli to the JCC on Hart Lane. And suddenly, Luke says, suddenly there's a sound, not like a, a still small voice, but a mighty rushing wind. Holy Spirit descends like fire, and people start speaking. And even though they're speaking different languages, there's, there's simultaneous translation, all these different languages, but everybody understands everybody. Swedes and Texans understand each other. <laughs> UT and A&M fans understand each other. Woke folks and folks who have no idea how to use the word intersectional in a sentence understand (laughs) each other. Millennials and geezers and MAGA hats understand each other. People who watched the final episode of Rape of Thrones and people who didn't. (laughs) Parents and their 13-year-olds understand each other. Guys who still wear cargo shorts and and everybody else who knows not to. They understand each other. The Holy Spirit descends and everybody starts speaking and everybody understands everybody. The commotion gathers a crowd in the street and the crowd starts to complain. Those Christians are doing the same thing they did when Jesus was with them, they have been drinking which, if you're counting at home, is the first and the last time anyone ever accused Christians of being fun. (laughs) Peter comes out to the crowd, and Peter speaks. Remember where we left Peter in the story? Back on the night they'd been in that same upper room? Jesus? Jesus who? And the third time, he actually curses Jesus' name, which sounds a lot worse when you translate the name the angel gave him. Jesus, curse this Jesus, whoever he is, curse this Savior. And then the cock crowed. But today, they're back in the upper room. And the Holy Spirit descends, and Peter speaks. Peter says to the crowd, We're not drunk yet. (laughs) We still got an hour before brunch. No, 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 no. All this you're hearing? This is what the prophet Joel foretold. And then Peter preaches this long sermon that crescendos with Peter proclaiming, this Jesus whom you all crucified, God has raised him up from the dead for our justification and made him Lord. Repent and be baptized. Let's get right to it, shall we? I don't have anywhere near the time for this sermon that Peter got for his. And Cynthia tells me you're used to sermons shorter in length than the average tenure of a Trump administration official. (laughs) I mean, I'd need a flux capacitor just to get in all my normal preaching time. So let's just get right down to it. Here's my question for you all. Why does the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost? Why does the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost? I'm a guest preacher. You don't know how to hear me. And so make sure you've got my question straight. I'm not asking, why does the Holy Spirit come? Our teachers all lied. There are such things as stupid questions, and that would be one. I'm not asking, why does the Holy Spirit come? Because the Holy Spirit has already come. Today is not the arrival of a heretofore absent spirit. The the spirit descended upon Jesus when he preached his first sermon. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary's womb. Even before the incarnation, the Holy Spirit spoke to us, as we'll say in the creed later, the Holy Spirit spoke to us by the prophets. So my question isn't, why does the Holy Spirit come? The Holy Spirit has already come more times than... Never mind, I can't tell that joke here. But my point is... You know, I'm asking, why does the Holy Spirit come with fire and wind at Pentecost, or as the Jews call it in Hebrew, Shavuot, the festival of weeks, five weeks, Penta, five weeks after the Passover. I mean, if Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to be with us in this in-between time between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming, then why does the Holy Spirit not descend upon the disciples as they're building makeshift tents of sticks and leaves to celebrate Sukkot, the Jewish festival that commemorated Israel's wandering in the wilderness in between their rescue from captivity and their deliverance into a promised kingdom? Why Shavuot? Why not Sukkot? And for that matter, Yom Kippur would make sense too. Jesus says two chapters later that the Holy Spirit's work would include convincing us of our sin. So so why does the Holy Spirit not descend on Yom Kippur as all the Jewish pilgrims watch the high priest lay his hands and cast their iniquity onto a scapegoat? In all the days of the year, why does Jesus schedule the Spirit for Pentecost? I mean, if the holy spirit is who christ sends so that you know he'll never give up on you never let you down never run around and desert you then why doesn't the holy spirit come on february 6th the birthday of british pop icon rick astley <laughs> that's right all saints you just got rickrolled <laughs> you can explain that later Why Pentecost? Why not Passover? Why not Passover? You all seen Leonardo's Last Supper? The shock and the shame on the disciples' face when Jesus lowers the boom that they will betray him and deny him and cover their own hides while his is nailed to a cross. That's the exact moment in the upper room when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Jesus has... Dirt on his knees, his hands and his sleeves stink of toe cheese. Because he's just stooped over, like a slave, he's just stooped over, washed their feet, and given them an entirely new commandment. Not the golden rule, something much, much worse than the golden rule. Love one another, Jesus said on his knees. Love one another as I have loved you. Or as St. Paul puts it at the top of Romans chapter 8, God loved not the rewardable or the improvable, not the good, but the ungodly. The ungodly. I I don't even love my neighbor as much as I love brisket and a Fire Eagle IPA. (laughs) How am I supposed to love the ungodly more than myself? And Jesus knows not only can we not love the ungodly, we can't even be relied upon to love God. Because no sooner does he command this impossible command than he dries off his hands and he says, Where I'm going next, you cannot go. And Peter responds, Nonsense, I'll go right now. Will you lay down your life for me? Absolutely, yes, no, Jesus says. No. Just tonight, you'll have betrayed me. By the time the cock crows three, and they all flip their lids, and that's it. That's it. The, the chapter divisions weren't added to the gospel until the sixteenth century. This is the moment when Jesus promises the Spirit, in the moment of him pr- predicting our betrayal. So why not Passover? Why does the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost? But even that's not quite putting it right. Luke doesn't say here in Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost had come. Now the word Luke uses there in Greek is simple rustai. It's the word Luke used back in the ninth chapter of the gospel when Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem because, Luke says, his teaching ministry had been simple rustai. Completed. When the Holy Spirit descends, Luke's telling you, the day of Pentecost is simple roost. Pentecost is fulfilled. Chris Arnade is a photojournalist who published a book this week entitled Dignity. Arnaid was an unbelieving, French-cuffed financier on Wall Street. When the market crashed in 2008 and he lost his job, he began traveling through urban America, interviewing homeless addicts and prostitutes and squatters and, and taking their pictures. In one of his essays, Arnade writes about a 40-something woman named Takesha. She talked to him for an hour, standing against the wall at the Corpus Christi Monastery in the South Bronx. When she was 13, Takesha's mother, who was a prostitute, put her out to work the streets with her, which she's done for the last 30 years. It's sad, Takesha told Arnaid. It's sad when it's your mother, who who you trust, and, and she's out there with you. But you know what kept me through all that, she said? God, the Holy Ghost. Whenever I got into a guy's car, the, the Holy Ghost stuck with me and got into the car with me. Takesha has a framed print of the Last Supper that she takes with her, a movable feast. She takes with her wherever she goes to sleep for the night. This, this moment when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, she's hung the image of it above her in abandoned buildings and in sewage-filled basements and and leaned it against a tent pole underneath an interstate overpass. She's taken it with her to turn tricks. He's always with me, she told Arnaid, reminding me. When Chris Arnaid finished his interview of Takesha and asked her how she wanted to be described for the reader, without missing a beat, Takesha responded, as who I am a prostitute, a mother of six, and a beloved child of God. When the author expressed his surprise at her candor, Takesha said, pay attention now, Takesha said, The Holy Spirit tells me that I am not what I do. I am what has been done for me. My worth, Takesha said, Preached is more like it. My worth is not in what I do or don't do, but in who God says I am. My worth is in who God says I am. You know, all those pilgrims, they're gathered there in Jerusalem, not because they're waiting around for the Holy Spirit, but because it's Pentecost. The day when Jews would remember the giving of the law by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. Not just the top ten, but the 603 other commands God gives them before capping them all off, like Jesus does on a different mount, capping them all off with the command, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How's that working out for you? You see when Moses returns to his people from the top of Mount Sinai he reads to them the law all 613 commands including that command about being perfect and the people of Israel respond to the law by making the promise to God all you've said to do God we will do and more all of this we will do and more Mother. See, when the Holy Spirit shows up on that day, the day when God's people remember their broken promise to do everything God had commanded them to do, Luke tells you on that day, the day of Pentecost is fulfilled. That's why there's no mention of Shavuot again in the New Testament. It's simple roost as the Apostle Paul says at the top of Romans chapter 8, God has fulfilled the law in the Son, who was the only one to live the law perfectly. Well, I'm, I'm a guest. I know you, you don't know how to hear me, so let me put it plain for you to see. This is why the Spirit Jesus promises on Passover comes at Pentecost. In Jesus Christ, the promise of Pentecost is no longer all this we will do for you, God. When the Holy Spirit comes and Pentecost is fulfilled, the promise we now remember is that in Jesus Christ, everything has already been done. All the commands the Lord has spoken to you, all of them have been fulfilled by you, for you by the Word. Everything God said, the word has done in the flesh. Everything the father said to do has been done for you in the son. And his perfect obedience, his perfect obedience has been reckoned to you as your own irremovable suit of righteousness. You are not what you do or fail to do. You are who God declares you to be. That's the promise we pray over the water at baptism. Clothe Elan in Christ's righteousness. Clothe Elin in Christ's permanent, perfect record. That's what it means. You know, this is why the language the Apostle Paul uses in our text today is the language not of earning or deserving, but the language of adoption and inheritance. You're being reckoned as a righteous child of God. You're being credited Christ's permanent, perfect score. It's neither natural, nor is it your hard-earned reward. It's grace. And it's not cheap. It's not even expensive. It's free. It's free. And it's yours by faith. The people who challenged my atheism most were drug addicts and prostitutes, homeless and squatters, Chris Arnade writes in dignity. On the streets with their daily battles and constant proximity to death, they have come to understand viscerally the truth about all of us, which many privileged and wealthy people have the luxury to avoid. That life is neither rational nor fair, That everyone makes mistakes, and often we are the victim of other people's mistakes. I've heard from Reverend Cynthia, from some of you all, about all saints. I gather you all know as well as any church that everyone makes mistakes, and often we are the victims of other people's mistakes. You all, I hear, have hit up against the hard truth that that, that most of us have the cash and the comfort to avoid most of the time. The truth that our lives are not in our control. Hear the good news. Not only are you enough in Christ, right now, as you are, No matter what qualification is running around in your head, right now, you're enough individually and collectively as a congregation in Christ. You're enough. That's the promise the Spirit brings on the day Pentecost is fulfilled. That's the promise of your baptism. But not only are you enough, you're not alone. The spirit who comes at Pentecost so that you might trust and believe this crazy, impossible promise that all of what God demands in the law, perfect obedience and righteousness, it's given to you, given away in the gospel. The spirit who comes at Pentecost has since become a squatter. That's what the name Jesus gives for the spirit in chapter 14, Paraclete, means. Para means to, to come alongside of, to, to attach to, to cling to. When the day of Pentecost is fulfilled and the spirit descends like fire and wind, the spirit becomes like a house guest you can't get rid of. And the spirit who comes when Pentecost is fulfilled now clings to the word. The spirit now clings to water. the spirit now clings to wine and bread. You know, these sacraments are the holy squatter's rights, And he uses them, Jesus promises today. He, he uses them to help you keep all of his commandments. Which, chillax, all saints, isn't as overwhelming as it sounds. Because in John's Gospel... In John's Gospel, other than that impossible command in the upper room he knew we couldn't keep as the very moment he commanded it, in John's Gospel, the only other commandments Jesus gives are all the same commandment. To believe. To believe. To Nicodemus, under the cover of night, to the woman at the well, to the 5,000 with fish and food in their bellies, 98 times! Ninety-eight times in the Gospel of John, the commandment is always the same, to put your trust in him, to believe. So all you saints, at all saints, chillax, and hear the good news. The message of Pentecost is not, do your best and the Holy Spirit will help you do the rest. That's a terrible message. The message of Pentecost is, everything has been done, gratis. So go. Go, and with the Holy Spirit, with bread and wine and water, go, tell the nations. Or just, you know, tell your neighborhood. With these holy squatters' rites, word and sacrament, that's it. That's it, just these. Word and sacrament. Jesus promises you will do greater things than him. And notice, all saints, the burden is not on you to do great things. The burden on you is his only command to believe, to trust. But no matter how out of control your life feels, the simple things he has given you bread and wine, water and word trust that the simple things he has given you can yield something greater even than loaves and fishes. I mean, you'll see for yourself with the baptismal font, these simple things, they can kill and make alive. Offered to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That better be God calling. (laughs) Amen.